0: A reading from Acts of the Apostles. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for a time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that this was the man who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran to them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as if, as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob The God of our ancestors has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer be released to you. You killed the source of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, His name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of you all. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and set him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. While they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing here before you, healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, Emmanuel. You may be seated. Now, as I was preparing for this installment of our God of the Impossible series earlier this week, I took a walk across the neighborhood to McDonald's for a short break and a nice cold soft drink. And on the way, I passed a man, young man, with a child holding up a sign asking for money. And immediately, because I had just been in this text, I was reminded of the opening of today's passage from the book of Acts. Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Now, meeting vulnerable people, asking for help, is a regular thing in larger urban areas. It's a familiar scene, not just here in uptown in Chicago today, but in most cities in most parts of the world for most of history. Reading between the lines, it seems this was nothing new for Peter or for John or for the lame man. And if you've lived in Chicago for any length of time, I'm sure you too have been confronted with an opportunity to offer a little something to make one situation a little better for a little while. This story in Acts takes a dramatic left turn from anything I'm familiar with. The lame beggar asked Peter and John for money, and Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once, his feet and ankles... Became strong. So, just like that, Peter and John and the lame man go from a very ordinary situation and find themselves in the God of the impossible territory. So, questions start to bubble up, don't they? What was God up to that afternoon in Jerusalem? Why does the God of the impossible intervene in ordinary interactions like this? And does God want us to participate in his impossible works like Peter and John did? These are exciting questions, but they can be pretty intimidating too. We're going to dig into today's scripture, and we're going to start by asking, what are the points of departure between this particular meeting and the types of meetings that you and I expect as we go about our daily lives? The first difference I see actually starts ahead of the miracle in verse 3. When this man who is lame from birth saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. Now already, this seems a little different from how things normally go down. The writer goes out of his way to tell us that Peter and John looked straight at him and told, them, told him to look at them. Now, it's possible that Peter was just really big on eye contact, but I don't think so. I think Peter and John's recent experiences had changed things for them. I believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the witnessing of thousands flocking to the church, all these things had dramatically transformed the way that Peter and John went about their daily lives. No doubt, whenever the, Jerusalems were, the disciples were in Jerusalem, they went regularly to the temple to pray, and no doubt they had walked past men like this one, if not this exact same man, many times before. But after encountering, The living Christ raised from the dead, and after receiving his Holy Spirit, Peter and John's understanding of how the world works had changed. They saw circumstances differently, they saw their neighbors differently, and they saw their own responsibility to their neighbors differently. Meeting the risen Christ changed their expectations about God, and then they turned around, and they raised expectations for the man that they met that day. Look at us, Peter said. And then the man turns toward them, expecting something. This, too, seems a little atypical. You may know how professional panhandlers generally operate, right? It seems like it's kind of a numbers game. If you go to where the foot traffic is and ask enough people, A certain percentage of people will throw you a few coins. Usually it's the same people every time, and everyone else is probably going to ignore you. So he probably wasn't looking at them when he was asking for money. It's a transactional thing, and meaningful engagement is not necessary, and it's not expected. But Peter asked for this man's attention, and now that guy is looking at them with raised expectations. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not particularly enjoy it when people look toward me with raised expectations. What if I don't have what it takes to meet those expectations? But that's the kicker here. Peter and John are clear about the fact that they themselves cannot meet expectations on the strength of their own resources. They deliberately raise this man's expectations knowing that their pockets are empty Now, just prior to this passage, we can read that those who had already put their trust in Jesus had been selling their belongings and distributing the profits to those within their fellowship who needed it. Those who had more were providing for those who had less. And it's likely that Peter and John did not have silver and gold to offer because everything they had materially was already invested in the works of God. Their regular resources were already being leveraged for God's kingdom. So when Peter asked the man to look at them, he was explicitly raising expectations that only God could meet. Now, literally anyone who did have a pocketful of change who entered the temple gate that morning could have seen the lame beggar and blessed him with a little money. That was a custom of the of the day that made it possible for the community to provide for someone who couldn't provide for himself. This is the kind of things that human beings can and should do for one another. But no one coming to the temple that day could restore that man to health and to independence. Whether you've got a handful of change or $5 million to spare would make no difference. Some kinds of brokenness Brokenness of the body, brokenness of the mind, brokenness of the soul. There are some kinds of brokenness that no amount of money, no amount of goodwill, no amount of intelligence or training, no clever application of technology can ever touch. There are some problems that only the God of the impossible can ultimately address. And this fan had one of those problems. And even when it comes to investing in small, possible good works that we, we can see and sense the huge, impossible problems that we can't solve, you could buy hamburgers all day long for people in uptown and go to bed knowing that you have done something decent, but the fact remains that when you wake up the next morning, everyone's going to be hungry again. It is a godly thing to provide even one meal for a hungry person. And it is an amazing blessing to participate with God in the healing of someone else's disability in this amazing way that Peter and John did. And yet, even that is a little like some of these videos that you can see on YouTube, where a nice family takes in a little wounded bunny rabbit and nurses it back to health. Have you seen one of these videos? You'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. A family finds a wounded rabbit in the wild. They take it home. They nurture it with food and shelter and medical care until it's strong and fit and ready to be re-released into the wild again. And so they'll film the joyous moment when they tip the cardboard box over and the happy bunny starts hopping away. And there are children cheering in the background as the bunny bounces across the lawn. Does anyone know where this is heading? And then a hawk swoops in from off screen. The cheers turn to screams of horror and the bird of prey snatches the bunny off mid-hop and eats them for lunch. As amazing as healing is, as amazing as this extraordinary miracle is in the book of Acts, as kind and beautiful and as truly joyous as it is, healing at its very best is only valuable for a short season. Death is coming. Death is coming for us, and it's coming for our beloved neighbors. Temporal blessings, whether they are ordinary or miraculous, come with an expiration date. They will last until the body fails utterly. But if you have ever spent time with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, raised from the dead, you know that there are some blessings that never, ever expire. They go on and on, greater and greater into eternity. What miracles like this one do is raise our expectation of all that God desires to do for us. Relief from suffering, the restoration of dignity, these good works are precious in and of themselves, but also and especially because they can, by God's grace, help us lift our heads up from our misery and turn to him in faith for what we really need, salvation to the uttermost. The salvation from sin, suffering, and death that comes from the mighty, impossible work of God in Jesus. These miracles, the big ones, the ordinary, everyday ones, but even the mighty, impossible works of God on earth are just a prelude. They are a teaser, an appetizer, a foretaste of the main event. Jesus said, blessed is the one who gives a cup of cold water in my name. That's a blessed thing to do. And Jesus also said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Never. Our little earthly temporal acts are meant to point to the great eternal work of Jesus. Everywhere we look in scripture, the impossible works of God that he did to bless people in history direct our attention to the saving work that Jesus did to bless all who call on his name for all of eternity. Peter and John grabbed the attention of the lame man by saying, look at us, so that the man would know that this healing flowed from the power of Jesus' name. They wanted him to hear the words they were saying and in whose name This work was being done. After Peter took the man's hand and raised him up, at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. This man had been lame for 40 years, and the strengthening of his ankles got his attention he started believing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He didn't just walk. He walked with them into the temple, leaping and praising the Lord. The ankles and feet that God healed that day turned to dust thousands of years ago. But insofar as this man trusted in the name of Jesus Christ, he is still walking, leaping, and praising God in heaven along with Peter and John, right now as we worship this morning. This miracle pointed him to Jesus, and it did the same for a whole crowd of others. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Peter did what the church is called to do. He participated in the impossible work of God by proclaiming the gospel. Peter preaches good news to the gathered crowd. He makes it clear that this miracle was not Peter's good deed, done for Peter's glory. This miracle came from God to glorify Jesus. Fellow Israelites, he said, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus. Peter then goes on to call people out for their unholy participation in God's story. He warns them that a lack of faith in Jesus of Nazareth leads to death. You denied the holy and righteous one, Peter said. You killed the source of life. But he goes on to add, by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Peter shares how this good news is particularly relevant to his Jewish listeners. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. He explains to them and to us, that the blessings we have to offer our neighbors are not merely the good works that we are called to do. The blessing is to participate in the work of God's servant, Jesus. Verse 26, God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Every good gift comes to us from God. But God blesses us finally and fully what he blesses us by turning us from our evil ways and toward Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 4, many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Just counting the menfolk, 2,000 were added to the church in addition to the 3,000 adult male conversions in the previous chapter. Not everyone believed. Not everyone responded by leaping with joy and praising God. The cultural leaders of that day were annoyed by the gospel proclamation. They weren't annoyed by the healing that took place, mind you. They didn't have a comment about that one way or the other. Society is generally quite appreciative of good deeds that don't rock the boat and don't threaten established power structures. But the keepers of the status quo were annoyed that Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They locked Peter and John up overnight and questioned them the next day, asking, by what power or in what name have you done this? And here we get our first and only explicit reference to the Holy Spirit in this passage. Although obviously the Holy Spirit was moving in the healing, we hear particularly that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit when questioned by the authorities and he preaches again. And he tells them that the stone that they had rejected turns out to be the stone upon which everything in the universe rests. He preached salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, declaring there is salvation in no one else because there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. The miracle of physical healing in this story is amazing. When I read it, I immediately start wondering and kind of hoping, (laughs) will Jesus use my faith and my bold prayers to bring about physical healing like this to folks? God still does that sort of thing. I'm down for that, and I hope you are too. But this miracle is just the thin end of the wedge. The power of the name of Jesus builds up from this amazing miracle and crescendos into a declaration of the truth that changes the destiny of humankind altogether. Jesus has defeated suffering. He defeated sin. He defeated death. This is the mighty work of God, and we can participate in it Simply by doing what we can to draw people's attention to the name of Jesus, we demonstrate with acts of kindness and with words of power that only Jesus can save. Look at verse 13 in chapter 4. When they, the leaders, observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Did you know that our boldness in witness, like miracles, becomes evidence to an unbelieving world that there is power in the name of Jesus? This boldness is not arrogance, it's not even ordinary simple confidence. This is a boldness that flows from the deep and great freedom we have in Christ to speak. Christ's truth, regardless of how it will be received. There is no power greater than the power of Jesus to save. So what would we possibly have to fear from the disapproval of lesser powers? When we are pointing people to Jesus, the only name by which salvation comes, we cannot fear posers and pretenders who oppose him. The crowds were amazed by the miracle of healing, and the leaders were amazed by the fearlessness of Peter and John. And both the healing and the preaching had the power of the Spirit behind them, bearing witness to Jesus. Now, on my way back from McDonald's with my pop, I stopped to talk with that young man and his daughter. It turned out I didn't have any bills in my wallet but I offered the handful of change that I did have. With the aid of the guy's phone, um, we did our best to engage in some kind of stilted conversation. I confirmed, as I had suspected, that um, they were Venezuelan immigrants living in this very building. When the fellow said that what he really wanted was work, I pulled up the website of the Chicago Latinos Worker Union because that's the only idea I have currently with that question. I carried um, a deep sense of my own inadequacy throughout this interaction, and I completely forgot to even ask if I could pray with them. But you know what? My hope is not in myself. It's not in what I have to offer. It's not in my ability to perfectly execute on all that the Lord is calling me to. On my own, I have nothing of value to offer this world. But I rejoice that through the proclamation of his word, the Lord is raising my expectations of what he can do in encounters like this. This is changing the way that I see my neighbors and the hope of participating with Jesus in his work of blessing them with ultimate healing. Brothers and sisters, we are the spiritual offspring of Abraham called to participate in God's work of blessing all the families of the earth through the name of Jesus. I don't know if our prayers will hear the lame or if by our witness thousands will turn to Jesus and be saved. That may happen. That would be awesome. The outcome of our participation in God's blessing is in God's hands alone. All I know is that we are called to participate. We are called, we, because we are called to partner with God in his supernatural work of blessing all the peoples of the earth, we will feed the hungry and clothe the naked, and we will preach repentance in a way that calls people to turn from evil and turn to place their trust in the name of Jesus. Nothing can hinder us from participating with God in his impossible works. I'll close with these words from a great old spiritual. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. If you cannot preach like Peter, if you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus and say, he died for all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.